Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. A reading from the book of the prophet Daniel. Azariah stood up in the fire and prayed aloud. For your name's sake, O Lord, do not deliver us up forever or make void your covenant. Do not take away your mercy from us. For the sake of Abraham, your beloved, Isaac, your servant, and Israel, your holy one, to whom you promised to multiply their offspring like the stars of heaven or the sand on the shore of the sea. But we are reduced, O Lord, beyond any other nation, brought low everywhere in the world this day because of our sins. We have in our day no prince, prophet, or leader, no burnt offering, sacrifice, oblation, or incense, no place to offer first fruits to find favor with you. But with contrite heart and humble spirit, let us be received, as though it were burnt offerings of rams and bullocks or thousands of fat lambs. So let our sacrifice be in your presence today as we follow you unreservedly. For well, those who trust in you cannot be put to shame. And now we follow you with our whole heart. We fear you and we pray to you. Do not let us be put to shame, but deal with us in your kindness and great mercy. Deliver us by your wonders and bring glory to your name, O Lord.
Dominus Vobiscum. Peter approached Jesus and asked him, Lord, if my brother sins against me, how often must I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus answered, I say to you, not seven times, but 77 times. This is why the kingdom of heaven may be likened to a king who decided to settle accounts with his servants. When he began the accounting, a debtor was brought before him who owed him a huge amount. Since he had no way <clears throat> of paying it back, his master ordered him to be sold, along with his wife, his children, and all his property in payment of the debt. At that, the servant fell down, did him homage, and said, be patient with me, and I will pay you back in full. Moved with compassion, the master of that servant let him go and forgave him the loan. When that servant had left, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a much smaller amount. He seized him and started to choke him, demanding, pay back what you owe. Falling to his knees, his fellow servant begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he had him put in prison until he paid back the debt. Now when his fellow servants saw what had happened, they were deeply disturbed and went to their master and reported the whole affair. His master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you your entire debt because you begged me to. Should you not have had pity on your fellow servant as I had pity on you? Then in anger, his master handed him over to the torturers until he should pay back the whole debt. So will my heavenly father do to you unless each of you forgives your brother from your heart. Bebum Domini. There's a lot of things about living a Christian life that we might find relatively easy to do. For the most part, we are able to get to Mass, some on a daily basis. We can pray the rosary, go to confession from time to time, observe the two days of required fasting every year on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday, give donations to the church or to charity or to the poor, and try to overcome our personal sins by God's grace. But one thing that is very difficult for a lot of Christians is forgiveness, forgiving others. The notion of forgiveness makes a lot of us very uncomfortable. And part of this is rooted in an innate desire for justice. When someone wrongs us, we become angry. Anger, as an emotion in itself, is not sinful. It is a normal human response 
to an injustice or to a perceived injustice. When someone sins against us, they take away from us something that is due to us, according to the virtue of justice. A person who commits gossip or slanders against us does damage to our reputation and to our good name. A person who physically assaults us causes undue injury to our bodies. A person who lies to us denies our right to the, to the truth. Our emotional response of anger towards these situations is healthy and normal. When directed in an orderly fashion, and we don't allow anger to become disordered, it can lead to the legitimate rectification of injustices committed against ourselves and can even drive us to advocate for justice for others who have suffered similar injustices. Seeking justice in itself is praiseworthy. Now, absolutely speaking, no one has been more offended and had more injustices committed against him than our Heavenly Father. He has been sinned against in countless ways, a countless number of times, by every single human being throughout history, except for the Blessed Virgin Mary. No one has had more of a claim to exact justice upon each and every sinner than God the Father. Yet the parable of the king who forgives a great debtor today provides insight into the merciful heart of our God. The debtor who is brought before the king, who, stand, who represents God the Father, owes a very large amount. And Jesus hyperbolically says that the debt is a myriad of talents. This would have been equivalent to half a lifetime of wages. The point is not to split hairs about the exact amount that he owed, but rather that it was such a large amount that he was incapable of repaying it. And the king is ready to exact justice upon the debtor by selling him and his wife and his children into slavery and selling off all of his property. And the king would have been entirely justified in carrying out strict justice upon him, just as he is justified in carrying out strict justice upon each and every one of us who have sinned against him. The debtor appears to humble himself before the king and begs the king to have patience with him as he fully intends to pay him back. Now the king knows full well that the man will never be able to pay him back for this enormous debt. And the king goes a step beyond merely allowing this man more time. He takes pity on him. And in fact, the Greek word that's used for pity is also uh, translated as compassion, and it has this sense of a, move, a, a movement of one's gut. You know, it, it was a gut-wrenching compassion that this king has towards this debtor. 
So he takes pity on the man and forgives him the entire debt. Absolutely amazing. And because of the king's mercy, the debtor went from nearly having everything taken away from him to being entirely forgiven. This is similar to what happens to us in the sacrament of penance. God has the right in justice to exact repayment from us for our sin. And yet when we humble ourselves before him, repent, and ask for his mercy, he knows that we are incapable of repaying the debt, and he forgives us entirely. And since God has forgiven us, it is entirely within his rights to place conditions upon this forgiveness. The debtor in the parable who, has, who was forgiven much should have extended the same mercy towards his fellow servant. And since God has shown mercy towards us and forgiven us, we are expected to pay our forgiveness forward and to show the same mercy towards others. In fact, we owe mercy towards others by virtue of justice. When Peter asks Jesus how many times he must forgive his brother, Jesus says 77 times. And this number is not supposed to be meant literally, it's a hyperbolic number. It basically means that we are to forgive an unlimited number of times, a countless number of times, because that's how many times God our Father forgives us. But if we do not show mercy towards others who ask us for forgiveness for lesser debts, then we should not expect mercy from God for our much greater debts. We should, be even, we should even be willing to forgive those who have not asked for mercy from us, because God is always willing to forgive everyone who comes to him in repentance. Now we might ask ourselves, how exactly can we forgive others? Well, the catechism in paragraph 2842 gives the answer. It says, it is impossible to keep the Lord's commandment by imitating the divine model from outside. There has to be a vital participation coming from the depths of the heart in the holiness and the mercy and the love of our God. Only the Spirit by whom we live can make ours the same mind that was in Christ Jesus. Then the unity of forgiveness becomes possible and we find ourselves forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave us. So the key phrase from this paragraph is vital participation. Jesus describes himself as the vine, and we are the branches. Apart from him, we can do nothing. Our forgiveness of others is rooted in a living participation in God's mercy and forgiveness. When we go to confession and receive God's mercy, we should already have on the mind of Christ. We should, always, we should already have on the mind of Christ. 
that we are going to show the same mercy towards others. We have that intention already. You know, God is showing us mercy in the sacrament we should already have in our minds. I'm going to show the same mercy to others. And forgiveness becomes possible and even easy the more that we strive to conform our minds and hearts to Christ, the Lord, rather than to the spirit of the world that knows not Christ the Lord. We should strive to think with the mind of Christ through meditation upon the words and actions of Christ. And as St. Paul says in his letter to the Romans, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may prove what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect.